This is The Every Lawyer, presented by the Canadian Bar Association. We're all sick of the phrase, unprecedented times. But when it comes to data privacy, these are at the very least really interesting ones. Apps tracing COVID, European courts striking down data transfer mechanisms. There is a lot going on. To help us make sense of it all, we have two guests today to talk about privacy law and some recent updates in this area. Eduardo Usteren is a partner with Hogan Levels in London, where he's co-head of the privacy and cybersecurity practice. He's been actively involved in the development of the EU data protection framework. Eduardo will be speaking at the CBA Access to Information and Privacy Law Symposium, taking place at the end of October and early November this year. Timothy Banks is a technology lawyer at Innovation in Ottawa. He focuses on IT contracts, privacy, cybersecurity, and Canada's anti-spam legislation. He's written extensively on Canada's Personal Information Protection and Electronics Document Act, PEPIDA, and lectures for Osgood's Professional Development Program. He's helping co-host the symposium. Thank you both for being here today. So I know there's a global pandemic going on, but we're going to put it aside for a minute and ask you what else is keeping you both up at night, particularly when it comes to privacy law right now? (laughs) Eduardo, we'll start with you because I heard that little laugh. So let's go straight into it. Yeah, I mean, um, good, good, good question. Uh, I try not to be kept up at at night by, by work. But um, during the day, we are certainly very busy with all sorts of privacy-related developments and things going on. And of course, in Europe at least, the big development of the, of the summer has been the Schrems to decision by the European Court of Justice. And that has generated, if not a sleepless n- nights, uh, at the very least, many hours of, of work and many, many hours of discussion. So that is certainly keeping us uh, pretty busy. Okay, and Timothy, I, I'll go to you in a moment, but I actually just wanted to talk about that a little bit more with Eduardo. Tell me a bit more about, um, first of all, I'm glad that you're not being kept up at night. That's great. Tell me a little bit more about what you mean by that, the striking down, is it the data transfer mechanism? That's right, yeah. So the, the whole issue of, international data transfers has always been a key uh, challenging uh, element of European data protection law. But as a result of the decision by the European Court of Justice in July on the Schrems II case, the, the outcome of that has been that there is a lot more questioning going on in terms of what mechanisms can be put in place to ensure that transfers of data from the EU to, to the US and indeed to any other jurisdiction are, are lawful. And to what extent anything can be done to avoid or at least mitigate disproportionate access to data by government agencies. And that is, is, a, is a real concern right now for many, many organizations world, worldwide. So that, that's why um, that has become a, a big issue this summer. Okay, that's really interesting. And Tim, how about 
for you. So Eduardo mentioned the United States, other jurisdictions. Is this something that you think about over here in Canada? Most definitely. It is a concern of mine that what we're seeing amongst um, Canada's major trading partners is this sort of this loss of trust amongst um, different countries for the ability of other countries to protect personal information um, of their sit of their residents or citizens when it's being transferred across borders. This breaking down of a consensus view, this breaking down of comedy um, between jurisdictions, is um, concerning, and it is connected to a, a worry that I see here in Canada of a shifting away from a very pragmatic approach to privacy protection in Canada to something that's hardening into a more narrow focus on privacy for privacy's own sake, Mm. Um, rather than in the past, we've looked at it as one value amongst a field of other values and concerns. And and I think we see that in this this international data transfer issue between um, Europe and the United States, which the Canadian federal commissioner has jumped into the fray on, and we see him repeatedly telling Parliament that our own law is inadequate to deal with international data transfers, and Commissioner Tarion would like to see more uh, regulatory restrictions around around that. So I, I think we're we're it's part of a general trend. Very interesting. Okay, so it applies, you know, not just in the EU and those trading partners, but particularly for Canada as well. I'm going to ask you both, because not all of our audience are privacy lawyers. Um, and indeed, I would, I would suspect, you know, uh, very few are. Can you break it down for the non-privacy law specialist amongst us? Um, what Europeans' top court said, how it matters, what we actually mean by these data transfer mechanisms. We, you know, I'm a bit of a, I am a trained lawyer, but I'm a bit of a dummy when it comes to privacy law. Would you mind just breaking it down a bit more for me? Sure. And I'll, I'll give you a bit of context as well. And I would go a little bit back in times when you may remember Edward Snowden in, I think it was 2013, around that time, uh, he managed to to leak or through through some media leak a number of uh, documents that exposed the level of um, uh, data access that the US government and the, and the US intelligence agencies had and that led to at least in Europe to to a substantial degree of, of concern about this potentially disproportionate, and, and, and just and possibly unjustifiable level of access to information coming from anywhere in the in the world. So that led to a complaint by someone called Max Rems, who at the time was a law student, and eventually that led to 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 the original Rems decision, where the the European Court of Justice, which is the, the almost the Supreme Court of Europe, if you want, um, decided that the mechanism, the, the mechanism that had been used uh, at the time to transfer data in the context of, of 
uh, Schrems complained the so-called safe harbor was not sufficiently robust to protect personal data. That uh, eventually evolved into a follow-up complaint about other types of mechanisms. And therefore, this summer, where, when um, we got the, the final judgment from the European Court of Justice, as the main message, there were a number of messages, but the main message from the, the court was that in the context of uh, exports of data or transfers of data from the EU to the United States, the US still had far too many powers to have access in a, to have access to data in a disproportionate manner and the, and the controls that were in place and that had been agreed with the European Commission following the original Schrems decision were, did not go far enough to protect the data in accordance with European standards. So what this has created is, is a attention that was already there, but that now has been more exposed between, on the one hand, the, the very clear requirement under European law, which has existed for, for over 20, 20 years, to protect data wherever it is in the world and to ensure that data that is European data, personal data that is exported to other jurisdictions continues to be protected at the same uh, level or the same, with the same standards on the one hand, but of course, on the other hand, the ability of states of any country and the governments of those countries to have access to, to that data for any purposes from law enforcement to national security and so on, and how to ensure that there is a balance between the two. And what this case uh, was about was essentially to, to try to address that balance and was saying, well, in the US at the moment, the balance is on the side of the power of, of the government. And therefore we need to, you, if you transfer data to the US, you need to ensure you put all appropriate and adequate safeguards to protect the data against that disproportionate or potentially disproportionate access. So that's what this case is about and the, what the implications are. Wow. Well, thank you for breaking it down like that for me, that it makes it a lot clearer and I, I can see why it is such a big deal and, and so important. What about lawyers who aren't practicing in the field of privacy law? What do they need to know? How does this affect their lives, their practices, advice that they might give clients? So um, just going a little bit more in detail into to the practicalities of, of this decision, what the court effectively said was that in the event of any any type of transfer, again, not just to the US, but to any jurisdiction, it was important to assess to what extent the data would be protected against this disproportionate uh, access to, to data by governments. And therefore, that, that was an assessment that needed to be carried out taking into account the nature of the data being transferred, the powers of, of, the, uh, of the government involved, and of course the protections in place. And taking all of that into account, one needed to ensure that the data was protected. So in terms of the work for all of us, any, any privacy professionals, any, anyone involved, involved in, this, in this, is to undertake that type of assessment. And then on that basis, 
apply the appropriate safeguards, whether they are, we're talking of contractual safeguards or some more technical measures or some administrative measures to, to prevent that level of access to, to data. And that is what, um, what we are all grappling with at the moment to, to assess how much, is, how much is good enough or, or, or what needs to be done to ensure that that level of protection meets those standards. And you're not kept up at night. That is amazing, Eduardo. You have some good sleep skills or some good, um, you're able to put your, your work life in a, in a separate box. So that's, that's a, seems like a huge monumental task. Um, I wanted to turn now to you, Tim, and ask a little bit about what do you do to stay current on these types of international developments in privacy law? Well, it's always a challenge, right? So uh, like both for external counsel, but also for in-house counsel, watching these developments um, uh, in Europe and then um, federally here in Canada, new amendments in Quebec, um, potentially proposed um, new legislation in British Columbia. It's, it remains to be seen, but it's possible our own federal government will make amendments to PIPEDA in order to attempt to maintain our own um, adequacy status mm -hmm. under um, under uh, under the GDPR in Europe, so in order to keep on top of those things, you need to read widely and broadly, pay attention to experts in other fields, and really get a sense for where commissioners and data protection authorities um, are moving, what their priorities are, and what they might be what might be keeping them up at night. Um, or keeping them concerned in order to anticipate the, the directions that they may go. You know, here at home, we know that our own federal commissioner um, has been concerned about international data transfers. And so you know, we can only expect that um, his office and the federal government who's concerned about trade with Europe will be watching these developments carefully and each will have their own agenda on how to Kind of move forward um, with respect to Canada's um, uh, response to, to these developments. Now, as, as you know from uh, being a trade lawyer, you know that the, the our, our economy with the United States is so interconnected, and many Canadian organizations use U.S.-based cloud computing infrastructure as an example and store their global data in the United States. So even though we're, we're here in Canada, this decision that Eduardo has been discussing with us has a direct, immediate, day-to-day -day impact on, on, on lawyers here in, in, on organizations rather here in Canada. Right. Okay. That's really interesting. And I was also, you mentioned some other, you know, updates to privacy in the field in Canada right now. What, what else are they? What else are you, what's kind of on your radar right now, Tim? Well, interestingly, um, you know, the, the, this issue of data transfers has arisen in the Quebec proposed amendments. Um, in Quebec, uh, for the first time, Quebec is um, considering requiring organizations to consider the adequacy of the jurisdiction to which um, personal information is being transferred to and take that into account in a sort of privacy impact assessment. So that's um, very uh, interesting and, and a new development and possibly will be picked up by other jurisdictions. Another area here in Canada that seems inevitable will be 
catching up with Europe on the right, the so-called right to be forgotten or the right of um, erasure. Uh, the federal privacy commissioner has been pushing for that for some time. Um, the parliamentary committee that reviewed uh, our Personal Information Protection and Electronic Documents Act uh, and made a report about uh, suggested revisions also mentioned it and was um, uh, and encouraged the government to give it further study. So that is another area that we may see um, more activity on uh, this fall and winter um, from our federal government if, 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 they're, if they're able to move a legislative agenda in this uh, era of COVID. Okay, interesting. And it, so it sounds a lot, and it, again, excuse my non-expertise in this area, but it sounds like Canada really looks to Europe um, and European privacy decisions t- to kind of guide our own. Is that fair to say? Is this something, what's the relationship, I guess, I'm asking between your practice and where you practice, Eduardo, based out of London, um, and Tim, yours in Ottawa? I think that's true. I think all the way along from the initial enactment of PIPEDA right through to today, Canadian privacy commissioners and um, governments do look to Europe for developments in this area. And in part, that is of necessity. Um, PIPEDA and the Alberta and British Columbia uh, privacy legislation was enacted in an era in which Canada wanted to have an adequacy designation from the Europeans so that data could flow freely to Canada. And it's part of our aspiration, our long, a long-term aspiration, uh, recently concluded in the European-Canada Free Trade Agreement um, to have closer trading relations with uh, Europe generally and not just the United Kingdom. And so having this ability to have data flow freely is seen as as an important um, pillar in that relationship. So we do look to, to, to Europe in order to understand what the developments there are and what expectations Europeans may have of Canada. And that necessarily then informs our legislative developments. Well, thanks for breaking it down like that for me and that partnership. I've never seen it quite like that before. And so it's really instructive to me. Eduardo, if that's the case, then, you know, you're you're dealing with the fallout of the European top court decision about data transfer mechanisms. But what's next? What's on your radar right now in your practice? Yes, of course, there, there are a number of, of things going on. And I think something which is very relevant in the context of what Tim is saying is that privacy is, is a global issue in the same way that data is, is global. And of course, the international data transfers uh, issue shows that. But there are all, a number of other things that are relevant in the context of privacy developments that are global. And for example, uh, what I'm seeing in Europe and around the world is that the whole idea of e-privacy, so the, the way in which our data uh, collected from our interactions with the digital world and how that is used and how visible that is to, to us as individuals, that's a, a universal challenge right now. And in Europe, we have had laws to do with cookies and requiring consent for that sort of uh, data collection and that's in that's changing but 
uh, there are other countries around the world that are looking at the same type of issues. We have any, any technological development that we're seeing around the world, whether we're talking of artificial intelligence or facial recognition, those are throwing at, at us very, very difficult privacy-related questions, which again are being addressed in Europe and are being addressed everywhere else. And as Tim is saying, Europe has been a, a real force in terms of driving a lot of this debate. And we do see an element of perhaps consolidation in, in the thinking of policymakers and regulators around the world. But of course, it's really important to, to look at it from, from the wider perspective in terms of the different legal cultures and needs and, and, and systems that exist around the world, not just uh, from a European perspective. And I think um, it is that combination of technological developments, the whole globalization of data, and of course, the very important privacy implications of all that that are driving the debate right now everywhere. Right. How interesting, you know, the global importance. And that's something that you're speaking to uh, in the CBA Symposium on Privacy. Is that right? You're giving an international update? Yes. And um, I'm sure there will be things that I, I, I say at the time that uh, are not even known today because things are developing so fast that you almost want to wait uh, until the last minute to prepare what you have to say. But yes, that, that's the aim to try to bring, uh, of course, in, in, from my perspective, a European flavor to all these international developments that we are seeing right now. Right. Okay. And so I, speaking of things that are rapidly changing, I can't have two privacy lawyers on a call and not ask how the pandemic is affecting your practice areas. Do people's expectations of privacy change or do you see them changing right now? Should they be? What are your thoughts on this area? Well, in, in Europe, um, because the pandemic came straight from Asia into Europe in, in sort of late February, early March, at that time, there was a real need to very quickly assess the privacy implications of the whole sharing and collection of data, particularly health-related information, and all, all the, uh, the, com the complications behind um, collecting all this information so, so quickly and for such an important uh, purpose. But, um, and therefore, as a result, the first few months of the, of the pandemic crisis in Europe, at least in, in March, April, May, there were a lot of uh, questions being raised in terms of to what extent data could be used and could be shared in the context of the fight against the pandemic. And my position on this, by the way, has always been that privacy is crucial, but data protection law does not get in the way of common sense. And I think this has shown how it's really important to get the both, both sides of the equation right in the sense that sharing data, using data, 
analyzing all of this information that we've been gathering on what we know about the, the pandemic and how it's affecting people across the world is absolutely crucial. Whilst at the same time, this has to be respectful of the laws and the, the frameworks that exist around the world in terms of the use of information about individuals, particularly when we're talking about health data and the sensitivity that it attracts. So it's been fascinating uh, to see how something so relevant, so crucial to, to the state of the world right now is directly affected by privacy and cybersecurity considerations. Right. What a monumental task and, and how quickly you had to move to. And Tim, similar in Canada, different? What are you seeing? I think very similar, of course, and it's a, it's an issue. The intersection between privacy and um, and COVID nineteen, um, particularly around contract tracing and around um, exposure notification, is so in the forefront of um, people's minds, and it has really created a conversation around um, Canada's lack of. Uh, coordination and collecting statistics and data. We see calls for um, people to under to greater transparency by governments about where there are COVID hotspots, for example. Um, looking at the disproportionate impact upon racialized um, groups um, and and others, and trying to get data around that and having this conversation that then takes place, this tension between privacy and um, data gathering is really happening out there in the open, in the public discourse. And that's very, very interesting. And then I think there's another layer that's interesting from a privacy professional's perspective, because in the run-up to the, um, the announcement um, and rollout of the COVID tracing the COVID exposure notification app here in Canada, privacy commissioners had to do um, evaluations of the privacy impact assessments that governments had had done. And uh, it was, they did that in a fairly transparent way by issuing their own public reports. And so that's given both the public and privacy lawyers a kind of inside view of how the privacy commissioners are thinking through these issues, which has also been very instructive in this balancing of different um, interests, as Eduardo was mentioning. Well, thank you both so much for giving us such a comprehensive update about what you're thinking about right now in terms of privacy law. And I don't know how you both sleep at night. There is a lot going on. What a rich and robust practice area that you both have. So thank you both so much for being our guests today. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks to both Eduardo and Timothy for breaking down all the recent updates, controversies, and cases in the privacy space for us today. There's a lot to think about. If you'd like to hear more about these topics, be sure to consider attending the CBA Access to Information and Privacy Law Symposium. It takes place at the end of October and early November. Eduardo will be speaking in the International Update section. For more information, check it out on the CBA's website. And I'd love to hear your thoughts about the issues we discussed today. Tweet to us at CBA underscore news, or you can reach me at my handle at MarliseSS. We are on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Stitcher, wherever you listen to podcasts. Subscribe to receive notifications for new episodes and leave us a review. 
We also have a podcast in French called Juriste Franchet. Thanks for listening. Stay tuned for the next episode. 